Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. A, a little, little bit of sunshine today, which is, which is a good thing. Uh, we have a, a few announcements in the bulletin. Uh, uh, one item being the uh, annual business meeting, which will be uh, Sunday after church, uh, the last Sunday of this month the 28th after church, and we will be having a, uh, a lunch before the meeting, so we aren't meeting on a hungry stomach and waiting to go home. So uh, have lunch for that, and then the business meeting, that will be on the 28th, and we will also be having, uh, the following week, we will also have our regular, regularly scheduled potluck uh, lunch after church as well. Uh, and uh, the budget and nominating committee will be meeting next Sun, uh, next Saturday morning here at the church. Uh, at 11, the uh, budget committee will be at 11 o'clock and then the uh, nominating committee will be right after that, probably uh, 11.30. So 11 o'clock next Saturday for the uh, bud, uh, nominating committee and then uh, budget committee rather, nominating committee right after that. And I hope there are no other announcements. <laughs> let us, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we open our service. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in your house today we thank you for the beautiful sunshine that you've given to us and for the storms that we had earlier this weekend. We just thank you for your creation and, and how wild and beautiful it is sometimes. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you that we live in a country where we are free to worship. We pray that you would help us to listen to your word today and we pray also that you would watch over us as we will be having our annual business meeting soon and that you would uh, just give us wisdom and, and those that will be serving. We pray that you would help each one of us to take our, our roles seriously and that we would uh, do the best that we can at them. We pray that you would just watch over our church. You would help us to grow and that we would be a light in this dark world. We pray that you would, uh, your Holy Spirit would speak through Ian this morning as he brings the message, and that everything that we say and do today would be honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> Our call to worship will be found on the back of your bulletin if you would like to turn. There with me and stand, we will read responsively and then we will go right into the first song in your green book, which is Psalm 46. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From, From him, him comes, comes my salvation. salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? 
like, like a, a leaning, leaning wall, wall a, a tottering, tottering fence. fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take, take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but, but inwardly, inwardly they, they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my, my hope is in from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My, my fortress, fortress I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My, my mighty, mighty rock, rock, my refuge is God. Amen. And turn with me now in your green book to number uh, to Psalm 46. singing <clears throat> and now will the men come forward for the morning offering please
Bill, would you pray, please? Our scripture reading this morning will be found in 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, yeah, I'll be starting with verse 1, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, is, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, because he, because as he is, so also 
are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word today. And now if you would turn to number 211 in your green book, we will stand and sing Ancient of Days. 211, and then we will sing 220 right after that.
you would turn with me uh, to number 220. And did you have anything to say about that, Ian? I think that's a new song. Isn't it for us? No, we've been singing that one. If not, we've been singing We've got that a new one, one okay. later. There's a new one we're singing sometime. I noticed we were talking about that already. 220. seated. Thank you. <coughs> Wonderful to see you, you all this morning to be able to worship with you. We're going to take some time to go to the Lord now together in prayer. All right, let's go to the Lord together. 
Father, we come to you this morning grateful that you are God. Grateful that we are not God. Grateful to know the God who is God. And grateful that you are God who is worthy of our praise. We're grateful, Lord, that you are mighty and powerful, omnipotent. We're grateful also that you are kind and that you are near to the brokenhearted. We praise you and thank you, especially this morning, Father, for, for our salvation. That when we were far from you, you caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New life, resurrection. We're thankful, God. We're thankful even more for the fact that we now are aware of an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. Lord Jesus, that when you went, you say, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will bring you there so that you will be with me also. We long for you, Lord Jesus. We say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We long for the day we will see you again. We long to be in your presence. We long for the day when you will make all things new. We thank you, Lord, as we wait that you are guarding us through faith for that salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time. And we rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, we've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, though we have not seen you in the flesh, we love you. Though we do not now see you, we believe in you and we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. As we come to you this morning with all of this goodness in mind, aware of the heavy weight of blessings which falls upon us if we know you, Lord Jesus, your kindness leads us to repentance. And we're made aware, Lord, of the fact that with all your faithfulness, we are faithless. That with all your goodness to us, Lord, we, we often turn from you. We know that to you all desires are known, all hearts are open, and from you no secrets are hid. And so as we come to you, we acknowledge and lament our sins and our offenses against you. We're deeply sorry for our transgressions. When we come actually to understand the full reality of our sin and of your holiness, the burden of our sin is more than we can bear, and so we throw ourselves on your mercy. Have mercy upon us, Father. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you would forgive us all that is past, that you would cleanse us of our sin and free us from our shame, that you would grant by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would be learning forevermore to increasing, in increasing measure to serve and to please you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Let's take a moment now to confess our sins unto God as we're aware of them.
Hear the word of God to all who truly turn to him. This from 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that when you came into the world, you came not first to condemn, but to save and to redeem for yourself a people. And so we're grateful, Lord, even as we've confessed our sins to you in the name of Jesus Christ, to have the assurance that because of his death and in his resurrection, we have been cleansed, that the old is gone and that the new is come. And we pray, Lord, even as our sins are nailed to the cross, that increasingly day by day you would be conforming us to the image of your Son. Make us like you, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. As we come to you, Father, we're, uh, we're oh, well, first of all, we're aware of all that we're grateful for. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the, um, the gift it is that to gather together with our brothers and sisters, the gift it is to hear each other's voices, the gift it is to be able to sing your praises in freedom. We thank you, Lord, for the gift it is to be encouraged by one another, to have a family, we thank you, Lord, for the gift it is just to have life in our lungs this morning. We're grateful, Lord, for your kindness to this, this fellow who was involved in the accident this morning. And um, Lord, even the brief power outage makes us grateful that, uh, that we are blessed in that way, to have such, um, such wealth, to have electricity in our homes. We're grateful, Lord. Father, we ask that you be with us as we continue through the rest of the service. We appeal to the Holy Spirit that you would speak to us from your word in what ways we need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray together as Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, for our final song before the, the sermon, I'd ask you to open your green books. to number 215. 215. Uh, this is, uh, is going to be new for us this morning. Uh, it's not too complicated. Um, you, you guys will catch on here real quick. Um, this is a wonderful, a wonderful celebration of the reality, of the promises of God's word, that God's, God holds on to those who are his. And Jesus uses the language of his hand, which I, I love to talk about, right? That Christ promises that no, none of those who are his will ever be able to escape his hand. Right? That he, he holds on to them with his mighty right hand. And that's, that's really the picture we're celebrating in this. So 215, he will hold me fast.
through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold, he must hold me fast, he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. he saves are his delight Christ will hold me fast precious in his holy sight he will hold me fast he'll not let my soul be lost his promises shall last bought with him at such a cost he will Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast, raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast, till our faith is turned to sight, when he comes at last, we'll sing that verse again, for my life, for my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast, justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast, raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast, till our faith is turned to sight, when he comes at Well, you can open your Bibles with me this morning to Genesis, book of Genesis, and chapter 46. Genesis 46, and we're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 27, really just focusing on the first handful of verses. Genesis 46. We pick up the story of Genesis this morning with a man named Jacob. Jacob, remember, he's Joseph's father. This morning we find Jacob packing up everything he owns into a U-Haul putting everything he has onto wagons and preparing to make a journey to leave the land of Canaan, to leave his homeland, to leave the land that God had promised to his grandfather Abraham and to his father Isaac 
and to all their descendants. We find Jacob this morning hungry, a refugee in the time of famine, leaving his home where there was no food, journeying to Egypt, Egypt the great empire, which as we'll see was a potentially dangerous place, a place where his grandfather Abraham had once faithlessly wandered and nearly lost it all. On Jacob's journey south and west, as he approached the edge of Canaan, about to set his foot out of the promised land, Jacob stopped the wagons. He stopped and he prayed. And he made sacrifice at a place called Beersheba, on the same spot where God had once spoken to his grandfather Abraham, on the same spot where God had once appeared to his father Isaac, there in Beersheba, Jacob called on the name of the Lord. And the Lord came to him that night and spoke to him in visions of the night. And those words, God's words to Jacob that night, are our subject this morning. Because the words that God spoke to Jacob that night were words of comfort, words of strength, words to scaffold and to support a weary and a fearful heart. In every age, God has called his people to walk sometimes difficult paths. Maybe you find yourself walking one today. In this new year, as you look ahead, what's next? What challenges lie ahead? What things loom somewhat ominously on the horizon? Standing in Beersheba, eyes towards Egypt, what anxieties fill your heart? My prayer for us all this morning is this, that the words of God that came to Jacob, clear and bracing like starlight that night, would come to us this morning and strengthen our, our sometimes weary and fearful hearts. My prayer is that as we face this new year, with all the challenges it may hold, that we would do so like Christians, that we would do so as ones who have hope in the promises of God, with straight spines and warm hearts, unafraid, grounded in the promises of God. So let's read our passage together and then we'll pray. Genesis 46, beginning in verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. And Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry them. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanak, 
Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jashin, Zosar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Koath, and Merari, the sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah, but Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Peretz were Hetzron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Buva, Yov, and Shimron. The sons of Zevilun, Tered, Elan, and Yehil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Paddan Aram, together with his daughter Dinah. Altogether, his sons and his daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Hagi, Shuni, Etzben, Eri, Arodi, and Arali, the sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Bariah, with Sarah, their sister, and the sons of Bariah, Heber, and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpha, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph, and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Baker, Ashbel, Gerah, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The son of Dan, Hushim. The sons of Naphtali, Yaziel, Guni, Yezer, and Shalem. These are the sons of Bila, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were, in his own, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, as you came to Jacob in visions of the night, with words of encouragement. So we ask that you would come to us now by your Holy Spirit and warm our hearts with courage as we look to your word and to your promises that by faith in you, we may laugh at the days to come. In Christ's name, amen. Verse one says this, Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Jacob, you'll remember, has two names, Jacob and Israel. So when we're reading this passage, Jacob and Israel, same guy. More on that later. That's going to be important. We're told in verse 1 that he offered sacrifices in Beersheba. Beersheba means well of the covenant, well of the oath. Uh, as we've already said, both his father and his grandfather had once lived in Beersheba, and, and his father, Isaac, had actually built an altar there, a place to make sacrifice and worship to God. And it may be that it was on that same stone altar that Isaac had built that Israel now worshipped, making a sacrifice to the God of his fathers. So we're told that he made sacrifice, he prayed, and then he went to sleep. He slept that night. Maybe they pitched their tents, we're not told. Or maybe Jacob opted to sleep out under the stars. Remember, he'd done that before when he was young, first leaving his father's household on the run from Esau. And he slept with his head on a rock out on the, under the stars. And of course, that's when 
we saw Jacob's ladder, right? The glory of God revealed from heaven and angels ascending and descending. Wherever it was that Jacob was sleeping, I like to think he was out under the stars, God came to him. Verse 2. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. On one occasion, many years prior, on the cusp of a, of a very different kind of great and trying test, God had come to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, in, in much the same words, spoke to him in much the same way. Abraham, Abraham, here I am. It was before the binding of Isaac. And now God came to Jacob, repeating his name, Jacob, Jacob, waking him up. We've already said that Jacob has two names. It's interesting here that God does not call him Israel. Jacob was his birth name. Literally, it means heel. The, the kind of the metaphorical meaning is of a supplanter, a layer of snares, and the snare catches your heel. This is a prophetic name. Jacob was a supplanter in his youth. He stole his older brother's birthright. It's a heel catcher. But God changed Jacob's name, you remember. In middle age, when God wrestled with Jacob on the ford of the Jabbok, God came to him, gave him a new name. No longer Jacob, Israel, which means wrestles with God. God redefined Jacob. Jacob was to be defined no longer by his sin, but by his God, no longer as a usurper, now as a wrestler, one who wrestled with, who walked with God. But now as an old man, meeting Jacob again, God comes to him at Beersheba and uses his old name, his birth name, Jacob, Jacob. God came to Jacob that night as one who had known him from the beginning. God knew Jacob. He knew his old life and his old name. He knew his new life and his new name. And it may be that Jacob came to that altar to worship that afternoon, wondering if after all those years God had forgotten him. And there in the night, God made very clear that he had not, that he knew him by name, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Whatever fears or anxieties Jacob had as he crossed the border out of this land of promise, this at least, now he knew, God had not forgotten him. God knew him by name. This is the first comfort which is given to Jacob and which belongs to all of us who know the Lord. God knows your name. We are forgetful. We often wander. And sometimes we project on God. We imagine that God is like us, that he forgets us. He does not. Even when we forget God, he does not forget us. Whatever fears or anxieties we may hold this morning, like Jacob on his way to Egypt, we can know this at least, God knows our name. He has not forgotten us. In fact, he can't forget us. He knows you better than you know yourself. He remembers your days, your joys, your sorrows better than you will ever remember them. God knows you. 
And this is true, too, even if you've spent many years, even all your years, wandering from God, wondering, can he see me? Does he know me? Is he really there? If I cry out, does he hear? Does he even care? He can see you. He does know you. And there's actually wonderful freedom in resting in, the, in knowing that we actually can't escape his knowledge of us. This is what David celebrates in Psalm 139, verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in hell, you are there. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God knows you. That's Jacob's first comfort. God knows your name. Jacob, Jacob. Then he said, here I am. Well, the Lord continues, verse 3, he said, I am God, the God of your father. I'm God, the God of your father. In these words, God reminds Jacob that he knows him and relates to him, not just as an individual, but through his dad, through his fathers, Abraham and Isaac. I am God, the God of your father. Jacob was a friend of God because he belonged to the covenant people of God. Jacob could trust that God would take care of him because God made promises to Abraham and to all his descendants. And this is what God is reminding him of here. I'm the God of your fathers. I've promised to bless Abraham and his descendants, so I will bless you. I've made a covenant. I've made a promise. I keep my promises. I'll keep them to you. This is Jacob's second comfort. First, that he knows his name. Second, that God keeps his covenant. God keeps his covenant. In those days, of course, the, the covenant promises and covenant blessings belonged only to the children of Abraham. But in these days, after the coming of Christ, from the family of Abraham, God has made promises not to one nation, but to all the nations. He enters into covenant not just with one family, but with all who come to him. God extends the shelter of his promises even to us, to all who call upon his name. Right? This is John 1, verse 12. To all who did receive him, all who did receive Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not just children of Abraham, children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you have come to God, believing in the name of Jesus Christ, if you have welcomed Jesus and received him as the Son of God, as your Savior and your Lord, you're not just the son of Abraham, you're a child of God. Do you believe that about yourself? Is that the fundamental thing you believe about yourself, that you are a child of God? God's promises are for you. And God's blessing of his people, this is wonderful, is not fickle or temperamental. 
It's not a will he, won't, won't he situation. God relates to his people not through half-truths and sometimes kept promises, but through covenant promises. He tells us how he will bless us and how he will sustain us, and he keeps his word. Those whom he has promised to bless and to save, he will. And that's what he's reminding Jacob. I am God, the God of your father. Don't you remember? I've made promises. And so too, Jesus promises the same kind of constancy to everyone who loves him, to everyone who calls upon him, to all who are the father's children. John 10, verse 27, the words of Christ. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No matter what may come, we can know that's true. No matter what Egypt may hold, no one will snatch us from his almighty hand. He will hold me fast. And if that's true, what have we to fear? This is Hebrews 13 and 6. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? God keeps his covenant. That's Jacob's second comfort. I am God, the God of your father. God goes on, verse 3. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt Egypt was a place where his grandfather Abraham went and was almost destroyed. Jacob had reason to fear Egypt, and with every step closer, to feel increasing fear. And he, in some ways, he wasn't wrong to fear Egypt. It would only take a couple of generations in Egypt before his descendants, his family, would be dwelling not as guests in Egypt, but as slaves enduring generations of suffering, slavery, hard labor, and oppression. Got to watch out when you deal with great empires. And maybe Jacob even guessed at that fate as he's walking step by step nearer to this great and terrible empire, Egypt. And yet God promises, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Not that there's nothing to fear there. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. God assures Jacob that he actually had a purpose for bringing Jacob into the lion's den. Though there was certain danger and suffering ahead, though Egypt was a great power, God is greater still. And he had a purpose for this journey, to make Israel great. Two generations before, to Abraham, he'd made these promises. Maybe Jacob remembered these vaguely from what granddad had said. Genesis 15, 13, the Lord said to Abraham, Abram at that time, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, Egypt, and will be servants there enslaved and they will be afflicted for 400 years it's not a surprise to god he's already told abram abram it's going to happen but 
He goes on, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Egypt, in all its power, despite its best attempts to swallow Israel up, and it does attempt to do this. You read the story of Exodus. It's basically an attempted genocide. Egypt was not able to destroy Jacob and his descendants. Instead, through those 400 years in Egypt, through slavery, through hard labor, despite the despotic rule of the pharaohs, Israel went down to Egypt as a household of 70 persons and came out a great nation. Israel went down to Egypt, a footnote on the Near Eastern scene, and by the time they left, their numbers were so great that they were a threat to Pharaoh's rule. In Egypt, God multiplied and blessed Israel. And even on their way out, as the Egyptians were waving goodbye, they wanted them gone so much they, the Israelites asked for their, their gold, for their jewelry, and the Egyptians were literally just throwing their jewelry at them, saying, get out, please. This is Jacob's third comfort. God has purposes in dangers and trials. God was not scared of Egypt. He was not afraid of the trial he was sending Israel into. He was Lord over Egypt. He was Lord of the danger and of the trial. And he had purposes in all of it. Actually for his good. And this is God's way, not just with Jacob, In a similar way to the way he sent Israel into Egypt, and in a greater way, he sent Christ to the cross. Into danger, into trial, into death. Not needlessly, but with wonderful intent. Christ was crucified according to Peter. In Acts 2, verse 23, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, the crucifixion was no accident. It was God's definite plan for the salvation of mankind. Talk about God having purposes for trials and dangers. God became man. The God-man was crucified, bearing mankind's sin and death in his body on the cross so that we might live and be saved. Why was Christ willing to face it? Why was he willing to go down to Egypt, in a sense? Why why was he willing to suffer, to undergo such suffering, such trial, such pain? He was willing because there was a purpose in it, our salvation. This is the writer, what the writer of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 12, 2, It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He was willing because he knew his death was not the end, that it was only the beginning. That resurrection was coming on the third day, and with it life and hope and the promise of the resurrection of the whole world. God has purposes in dangers and trials. Egypt was God's plan for Israel's greatness. The cross was God's plan for our salvation. And we can know with confidence that when God brings suffering, trial, darkness, and difficulty into our own lives, as hard as Egypt can be, we can know and trust 
that our suffering is actually God's plan for our holiness and for our good. This is true if we believe that God works all things for our good. I'll say that again. We can know with confidence that when God brings suffering, trial, darkness, and difficulty into our own lives, as hard as Egypt can be, and sometimes it is hell, that it is actually God's plan for our holiness and for our good. And this is the strange and wonderful confidence behind James 1 verse 2. The only reason James can say this is because he understands this. James, the brother of Jesus, he says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And, the stead and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I found Charles Spurgeon's comments on this passage very helpful this week. He says this, commenting on this passage. He says, Fear not affliction, for so through affliction shall you receive the greater blessing. Brothers, fear not the night, but watch for its stars. Fear not the fall of the leaf, but look for the ripe fruits. You shall see more of God's goodness as you see more of man's evil. We read of the apostles that they feared and entered into the cloud, yet in that cloud they saw their Lord transfigured. Therefore, be not you afraid. Listen to the sentence. Be not you afraid, lest you be found trembling at that which should cause you joy. Be not you afraid, lest you be found trembling at that which should cause you joy. That's Jacob's third comfort. God has purposes in dangers and trials. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. God goes on. This next promise is very sweet. Verse 4. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. Here the promise for Jacob and for us is this fourth comfort. God remains with his people. God remains with his people. His presence is with us. J Egypt was great and Jacob was small, but God would be with him. So he had no cause to be afraid. If God is with, with us, what have we to fear? Uh, in my moments of greatest fear as a child, which were almost always when I was terrorized by some nightmare or night terror. I had a lot of those as a kid. And I would, I would yell for my parents across the house, right? Mom, Dad! And, uh, and I would feel almost paralyzed with this fear until I heard their footsteps coming and the door open, right? And they'd come in and uh, all of a sudden the fear was gone. The memory of the nightmare may, may have clung on for a moment, right? But, but if Dad is there, then nothing really bad is going to happen. What great comfort there is in the promise of the fatherly presence of God in knowing that he is with us 
I myself will go down with you to Egypt. That was God's promise to Jacob, and it's his promise to us in the words of Christ. Matthew 28, verse 20, speaking to his disciples, Jesus says this, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If we are his, he is with us. Perhaps, especially in the midst of suffering, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. As much as the people of God might have wondered across those 400 years if God had abandoned them, he had not. He was with them. Psalm 139 again. As it rings true with the, these words. Psalm 139, verse 9. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as a light with you. Even in the darkness, darkest night, even when we cannot see God's purposes in the darkness, which is often, we can trust in his presence. If we are his, he is with us. This is Jacob's fourth comfort. God remains with his people. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And he goes on. I will also bring you up again. Egypt was not the final destination for Israel. His body would eventually be laid to rest back in the land of his fathers. And then 400 years later, 400 years after his journey down to Egypt, his descendants would be brought back to dwell again in the land of their fathers. What God promised to Abraham and here to Jacob Eventually, he did accomplish in the days of Moses and of Joshua. He went with Israel to Egypt, and he did bring Israel up again. Or in other words, God brings his people home. God brings his people home. We who know the Lord have this promise for ourselves. Not that God will bring us back to Canaan, to that green country, but the writer of Hebrews speaks of actually a better country, a heavenly country, an eternal home, which God is preparing for his people. And this is Christ's promise to all of us who know him. John 14 and verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. One day at Christ's return, the dead will be raised. Sin and evil will be brought under judgment. The old will pass away and the new will come. And in that day, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And we will dwell with him there. And the Lord himself will be our home. I will also bring you up again. We're going home. As the old spiritual says, I'm bound for the promised land. I'm bound for the promised land. My dad sold our childhood, my childhood home last year. It was the right time to do it. He's in a new season. 
really, he built that house for my mom. Uh, she died in 2018. And, and really, even, even when we still had the house, after she died, it wasn't really home anymore in the way that it was before. I'll never be able to get back home, to that home, in this life, in the way that that place was home to me. Maybe, maybe you, can sh- you share a, a longing for a, a home like that. Like Jacob must have longed in Egypt for the land of his fathers. Jesus is preparing for us a home. And all the homes we have experienced in this life, as warm and as wonderful as they have been, pale in comparison to the warmth and welcome we will experience when we are brought home into the presence of Christ. I go and prepare a place for you, Christ promises us. Do you know the way to that place? The Beatles song, Once There Was a Way to Get Back Home Again. Do you know the way? The Apostle Thomas didn't think he did. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And Thomas says, verse 5, John 14, 5, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How can we get home? How can we be brought into eternal life, restored into the presence of God? Is there a way back home? Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And he has promised to all who trust him that he will bring us home. Have you trusted him? Have you received him? Have you believed in his name? It's Jacob's fifth comfort. God will bring us home. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And finally, Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Joseph was Jacob's, Jacob's boy, his favorite son. For years he thought he was dead but now he'd found out that Joseph was alive, and not just alive, the ruler of all Egypt, and that he had silos on silos on silos of grain, that in a time of famine, Joseph actually held life in his hand. And when Jacob heard it at first, he literally couldn't believe it. And as he's on his way down to Egypt, I'm sure it was beginning to dawn on him all the implications of this. And before he's seen Joseph yet, the Lord assures him, Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Jacob, who thought that he was going to die in grief of his son, finds actually that he's going to die in the presence of his son. When death came, Israel's beloved son, his savior from famine, back as if from the grave, would be there to close his eyes. When the time came, he would be able to rest in peace. And I point us to Charles Spurgeon again, who observes that this promise must have taken the sting out of death for Jacob. The grief and pain which Jacob had once anticipated was now transformed into hope and peace. God takes the sting from death. It's Jacob's final comfort. Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. And I'm going to finish just by quoting Spurgeon here. He says this, Let me read God's words to Jacob to you with a word changed. 
and another name inserted. And Jesus will put his hand upon your eyes. We may never die. The Lord may personally appear, and then we shall not all sleep. But if he does, if he does not come, Spurgeon says, and we are called upon to die, Jesus will put his fingers on our eyes, and we shall sleep in peace. Death is a covenant blessing to a child of God, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. That last sleep comes from the finger of that hand which was nailed to the cross for us. And Jesus, the beloved son, not of Jacob, but of God, who once was dead, is yet alive. And he is king over all that land to where you are going. For the keys of death swing at his belt. He is prince, not just of Egypt, but of all realms. And he it is that shall put his hand upon your eyes and seal them for the moment in darkness, end quote. If Christ is with us, even death, that great terror, loses its sting. It has been defeated and has become for us who believe no longer a door into the darkness, but the way home. The promises of God for those who believe them change everything. God knows your name. He keeps his covenant. He has purposes in danger and trial. God remains with his people. He brings his people home and he takes this thing from death. This is hope. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, for your promises, for your covenant, and for your son, for your faithfulness to your people across the generations, and for your faithfulness which will bring us home. We thank you and we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are grateful to you. Send us from here, Lord, with warmth in our hearts and a straight spine, trusting in your word. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing as we close the service. Praise God from whom all.